Okay, have a wee seat. Make yourself at home, get comfortable. Good morning again if you're new or visiting today. It's so good to have you guys with us. We have been on a journey through a series on Moses and our senior pastor Brian's been leading us through the book of Exodus to bring to life a sense of awe and wonder as well as this incredible sense of intimacy and closeness with God who is at the same time the God who can scorch the tops of mountains but then also wants to have a meal with us. And he's kind of incredible, and it's been incredible, and we're um, sort of and sort of not continuing in that this week, because um, last week, Brian looked at what Fiona Keatings had previously dubbed, um, semi-affectionately, the golden calf incident. We looked at that last week, we remembered, okay, we are prone to wander, our hearts are prone to wander. God, though, is incredibly kind in the face of that in our lives. And while Brian is in Belfast today, the UK's second best city, I am going to jump off the back of the Golden Calf incident and I'm going to try to bring it close to home for us because there's a risk that when we look at the Old Testament sometimes generally, when we look at the Israelites, when we look at the story with the Golden Calf, there's a risk that we look at them with all their like earring melting cow making and we think, yeah, no, no Golden Calves here, like back to business. I'm fine, or we look at them and we see, okay, for them, like, it, this was a total abandonment of God. Like, they totally abandoned God. You know, one minute they're worshiping God, they're following God, the next minute they have built a cow out of melted earrings, and they are bowing down to that, and they are saying, okay, this is our God who rescued us. Like, they have, we, we read it and we maybe think, you know, they're, they're completely deluded. Like, they're completely wrong, and they've completely abandoned the God of the Bible. Like, that's not where I'm at but if I can try to give a, a compassionate plea today, golden calves never look like golden calves in our life. And if we go the wrong direction little bit by little bit long enough, we will find ourselves so far away from the God that we never meant to abandon. Now, the Israelites' context was delay. Why is Moses taking so long? Confusion. We don't understand what he's doing up there. And also this once very, very visible God, often very visible God to them, seemingly out of sight for a time. And then in that context, that breeds in them this desire to build for themselves something new, something tangible, something they could literally kind of physically see in front of them, something that could be there right now in the midst of that context. Maybe we can relate in some ways to that context. We're going to look at God's word together today. And as he always does, my hope and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will help this to land wherever it needs to for you, whatever your challenges are, whatever your current life situation is, whatever you are facing. But I also want to bring in something a little bit more specific too, because it's been coming up time and time again. And I, I feel like in countless places right now, I'm seeing callings, God-given futures, to use a corny word, but the word that kind of applies, like our God-given destiny, like what he has for us, what he wants for us, hanging in the balance in people's lives, in our lives, not because of any like out-and-out out abandonment of God, but because of a little substitution or a little bit of sidestepping in the area of relationships, whole hearts and lives and time attaching itself to someone or something that's running in a totally different direction. Maybe I see it because I lived it. I have lived it in my early 20s. I understand maybe I'm seeing it right now. 
because the enemy does have a specific targeted agenda against young women, no doubt young men as well, no doubt marriages as well, to steal and kill and destroy what God has put in them, not through any obviously evil thing, but just like little by little through our hormones, through our eyes, through the desperate desires of our hearts, getting us off track waging a war for our attention and our affection. And I, I don't believe it's melodramatic to, to suspect this. It sounds a bit melodramatic. It sounds a little bit weird if we step back from it for a second. But scripture tells us in First Peter, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now that is dramatic. So if I can read that in scripture, if I can believe that that is true, then it shouldn't surprise me that my enemy would want to oppose me in any area in which he can take ground in my life. And what I have found is that the areas that he might go after tend to be the areas to do with the things that I want the most. Now, today's message might be for you now. It might be for you to bank away for later sometime. But a general word for us today is that it has probably been a tough season. It's very possibly been the toughest season yet. If it's not been tough, it's probably at least been pretty full on. And you might be tired. You might be weary. You might be facing delays in your life, and you might want more than anything to reach out and take hold of love in any form that feels most tangible to you, that feels closest to you. And if so, it's hard, and I get it, and I'm sorry. But I plead with you today, if you've taken hold of something, if you've stepped aside in some way, if you know in your heart you need to turn back to God, turn back to God. Because as we read in Scripture, the story of the prodigal son, he's the God who runs towards us when we turn our hearts towards him again. We're going to look at the Bible today. I'm going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 if you want to follow on in your own Bible, but it will be on the screen as well. We're going to look at King David because, like the Israelite people, he had many a, like, how did I end up here moment in his life. He slipped big time. And yet, when we remember David and when we think about David, we remember him as King David. We remember him as a worshiper. We remember him um, as a king, a man after God's own heart. So how did that happen? How do we remember him that way? What happened there? There's a few lessons, I think, from his story today that I want to kind of pull out for us. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'll read from verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. 
In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in the front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. If I skip ahead to verse 26, it says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The first thing I see in David's story here is that no one is safe from slipping. Has anyone heard of Sutton Foster? Any musical theater fans? Yes, quick hands up. So um, she is big in the musical theater world and she's recently been playing Reno Sweeney in Anything Goes in London once again. And Sophie Curl and I actually went to London and we saw her in a production of Anything Goes. And uh, she's already won a Tony Award for this part when she played it on Broadway. So I, my expectations were incredibly high. We're reading reviews that say things like, you know, Sutton Foster blows the roof off. Sutton Foster dazzles in this production of Anything Goes. And this one is my favorite. Sutton Foster is giving one of the best musical theater performances of all time. You know, we've read things like that. We're in our seats. We're on the edge of our seats. She is incredible. We get to the finale of Act One. It is the song that names the show. Anything Goes. There's a tap break. There's key changes. It's like the energy is rising. Everyone's joining in. And then she fell over. She fell over. Flat. And I'm like, oh, wow. Wow, because it sort of spoiled it. Because up to that point, it had, been, it had been like there'd been an illusion of perfection. Like she's perfect at this. She's perfect at this. And then she fell over, but it kind of spoiled it, but it was also kind of refreshing. Because it was like you can be the best in the world at putting one foot in front of the other and still trip and fall flat. Now, David, bear with me, is the Bible's Sutton Foster in this moment. <laughs> Okay, because bar Jesus, he's the hero. He's everyone's favorite shepherd boy. He's anointed king against all odds. He defeats Goliath with a rock. Is there anything he cannot do? If David can slip this badly at this point in his story, then anyone can at any time, at any point in your life. And so we need to find ourselves, we need to stay in a place of humility with God to acknowledge, okay, no amount of age, no amount of gifting, no amount of spiritual maturity, no amount of growth, no amount of feeling like I don't struggle with that though. No amount of our job title or our life or ministry achievements or any sort of incredible fresh missions experience that we might live off of, none of that means that we're not, at the end of the day, a sheep. And sheep are prone to wander. They're prone to getting lost. We need our shepherd. And I mean that to land less like, be warned, sheep. You know, you're going to fall. You're going to trip. And more like, we are all in this together. No matter what, we need our shepherd. We're prone to wander. And we always will need our shepherd. And there's two sides of the coin here, too. If David can slip, anyone can. But also... If David, who slipped in this way, can be king, can be a man after God's own heart, then anyone can be anything that God calls them to, no matter what, because it doesn't matter that you, you don't need to run the perfect race for Jesus. Jesus has done everything that needed to be done. You need to run a race in his direction. You need to keep running in his direction. We don't need to run a perfect race. The second thing I see in this story is that it's an identity issue. 
Because David's identity and his day-to-day life come out of sync with each other. Chapter 11 starts, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sends Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroy the Ammonites. They besiege Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. David is the king. No one but the king can be the king. And yet, at this point in the story, he sends a man who is a key military leader, but not the king, out with the king's men to fight the king's war. And he stays at home. And in this context, he's restless, he sees Bathsheba, dot, dot, dot. In chapter 7, God says to David, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, I appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. David has been called by God, appointed as king, given these incredible promises over his future. And he's promised rest from his enemies. God says, I'll provide a place for my people Israel. I'll plant them so that they can have a home of their own, no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. God promises David rest from all his enemies, but this is not the time because there are still enemies and other men are out fighting them and he is at home. He starts to rest before the time for his rest from the enemies has come. And it's subtle, but we see his identity and his purpose here on one side. We see his life on the other, his day-to-day lived life on the other. They fall out of alignment, and it's like he falls into the gap in between. Does your identity, does my identity in Jesus, does my life reflect that, really? Do the details of my life reflect that? We can get off track if we miss how important it is for our purpose that we live out of our true identity as well. And when it comes to anyone else who might be involved in your story, maybe it's not about who they are, but it's about who you are. Maybe it's not about there being anything wrong with anyone else. Maybe they're pretty perfect, actually. Maybe they are kinder than basically anyone else you've ever interacted with. Maybe they speak to you with the gentleness that you wish your spouse did. Maybe it's not about them, but it's about you. It's about who you are, your identity as a child of God, adopted into his family, fully forgiven, made free, but not just for a free-for-all, but actually for him to be living a life in worship to him in the fullness of life. We need to remember who we are. And when it comes to who we are, things like self-hatred as well has no place in your mind, in your heart, because you are God's beloved. You need to know who you are. You need to know your worth, and you need to fight to walk in it. We need to fight to walk in it because issues of our identity is an all too easy place in our lives where we can open a a window to the lies of the enemy. They can come in, they live with us, we start to live out of those lies instead before before we've even realized that they're even there. Golden calves in our lives don't tend to woo us through our feelings alone. They're built on a bed of lies. Okay, anyone ever try to be helpful as a child and try to help someone weed? I don't know why weeding is something that I have no interest in weeding as an adult, but when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I'll help. But going after what's on the surface of our life, or like the behavior that we maybe know isn't right, or the things that we know we shouldn't do, or the ways, uh, the things we're feeling that we're just like, oh, I don't want to feel this way, going after that on the surface, like it makes me think a little bit about me being a kid and trying to help my parents weed, where I'd go around and just pull the heads off, and they'd be frustrated because they'd be like, it's just going to grow back, like all the roots are still there. Feelings are sometimes the most obvious thing we can go after, and we might think things like, oh, I can't help how I'm feeling, though, but coming after our feelings or the things on the surface with, like, 
just force and willpower to rip the heads off, that will always feel impossible. It'll feel like it won't go very far because actually those things are built like tip of the iceberg on this body of lies underneath them. But if we let him, Master Gardener Jesus will come. He can uproot the lie from its very source for us. And that is good news. You might have lies in your life that need uprooted. Maybe things like there'll never be anyone else. This is my one chance. It doesn't matter what I do, I'm a fraud anyway. If people could see what's inside me, they wouldn't call me into these things. Did God really say that? Did God really say I'd be that? Did God really say I'd be a worship leader someday? I'm not sure. We need to know who we are, loved, chosen, covered, just because we're chosen, not because we have to do anything. Okay, so I am... I fall over quite a lot in Glasgow, and the three things that I would name as my danger zone for falling in autumn, um, and if these three things are in place together, then I will fall, and they are uh, wet leaves, a slope of any kind, and me being on my phone. So those three things combined, and I will fall down. And the third thing I see in David's story is actually three things which make up his danger zone, and they're not actually, as I read through the story, what I expected them to be. Because, no, they're not wet leaves, although that would make anyone fall. It's not apathy. He's not apathetic towards God. He is a wholehearted worshiper. That's who he's been. He's been the one who's been singing and dancing in front of the Lord, making a fool of himself in his worship. He isn't proud. It doesn't seem to be a like pride before the fall moment because he just a few chapters previously had been talking to God about, okay, I need to build you a temple because how can I live in this while you live in that? Like he wants to exalt God's name above himself. He hasn't been outside of God's favor. Nathan the prophet said to him just moments before, whatever you have in mind, go and do it because the Lord is with you. He's not at a low point in his life. He's at a high point. And the story that leads up to this moment, we, you know, it doesn't start with David just not being at war. He's not like he's been lazy and hasn't been going to war. He's been at war and he's had these incredible victories. He's led the Israelites to victory. He's had a huge personal victory by the standards of that time, killing 700 of these guys and 40,000 of these guys and the commander himself. And of course, low points in our life, pride, apathy, those things can be a pretty brutal cocktail when it comes to us standing firm in the Lord. But David's a worshiper, he's humble, he's living inside of God's favor, he's at a high point of life, but then he's not where he's meant to be. He's idle and he's alone. Do any of those three things ring a bell for us right now? Is there any way that you are not where you're meant to be? Have you stepped out of something that God never asked you to step out of? You know, I actually did a lot of that last year. I served a lot in that way last year. Or, you know, God, I gave you that, that six months when I was doing that thing, and now this is actually time for you to come through for me. Or have you stepped into something that God never called you to? Yeah, I know the Bible kind of speaks about this, but I actually don't feel any, like, Holy Spirit conviction on it. So I'm just going to kind of, until I feel that, then I'm going to, have you jumped the gun on a word from God? God had promised David rest from his enemies, but it hadn't come yet, but... Have we taken something that God has promised before he's given it? Have we isolated ourselves in any way? Is there any area of non-participation in our lives that God hasn't spoken about? Have we pulled back from other believers? Have we started to hide things from people that we previously would have let in? The issue with isolation is that it gives us room for some secrecy, which we might want. It gives space to kind of remove the safeguards of community, which we might want. But it also becomes this breeding ground for shame, which no one wants. 
Like, no one wants to be in a spiral of shame. And we see in David's life that that is what shame does. It can put us in this spiral. It can get us into a cycle that is hard to get out of. Shame makes nothing better. With David, after Bathsheba, in his shame, he panics. That's why I read the whole story, because we have to see, okay, David, his shame, he tries to cover and conceal what he has done. He does whatever he can to get Uriah home to his wife, and it doesn't work. David did not wake up one day wanting Uriah dead. He didn't wake up one day deciding, okay, this is the day that I kill that man who's part of my army, who's one of my own. He is in this spiral to keep his sin hidden. No one plans to self-sabotage. No one plans to commit adultery, I'm sure. No one plans to give their life to Jesus and then just drift and drift and drift away from him. But thankfully, the fifth thing I see in David's story is that there is always hope. Now, there's a sermon writing warning here because I initially put this point as um, we see in David, you know, the power of a quick return. But then I read it again. I was like, no, Lord, you are writing what you think this should be. You're writing what you want him to do and what you think the Bible says. And actually, I can't really call his return quick because he makes a huge mess in quite a short amount of text. But it's encouraging for us because if you've made a huge mess today, like there's no line you can turn back. There's no point at which you've drifted too far. God speaks to David through Nathan the prophet. He says, I anointed you king. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. If all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. I would have given you even more. This is good news. If we are asked by God to turn away from something, to turn towards him, we are not turning towards crumbs. We're turning towards this God who said to David, I will give you even more. If that was too little, I would give you even more, this generous, good God. So what do we do now? A few quick things. We can call a spade a spade. Okay, so David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. When he is able to look at his situation with clarity, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And there's this incredibly simple but amazing exchange happens where Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. Sinned against the Lord. The Lord has taken away your sin. Incredible, amazing grace in that moment. And there's consequences and there's pain that he has to walk through. But if we are turning back to God, we need to, as a first step, we need to own our bit. We need to not wallow in shame. We need to own our bit. Receive the gift that is repentance, the ability to turn around and receive full forgiveness and then walk with hope and God's company into whatever the consequences were, whatever we need to walk through with hope. Maybe you need to get out of the danger zone today. If any of those three things applies to your life, if you've stopped walking in something that you should still be walking in, if you've stepped into something God never called you into, if you've been needlessly idle, if you've not been participating in a way that you should be, if you've isolated yourself, it's time to be like, okay, I see the alarm bells. I want to get out of the danger zone. Or maybe you're in a shame spiral. Maybe shame needs to be silenced in your life. In all of those things and all that work to do, my invitation to you is to come out of hiding. Who's your Nathan? Who's your Nathan the prophet in this scenario? Or maybe you are a Nathan to someone. If so, be bold. <laughs> I know what it feels like to be playing with fire in your life and feel like you're completely stuck in that loop. I battled on for a long time when I was younger, kind of dabbling in Christian community, but also keeping a lot of things to myself, keeping the main thing to myself, which was the struggle, and wrestling just inside with the Holy Spirit in me when it felt like everything I wanted was being dangled in front of me and I couldn't have it. I know what that feels like. And if you're experiencing that inner war today, I would just encourage you to take hold of the freedom that is available to you. 
let someone in. Find your Nathan, your Nathans. Let someone into that. Don't try to do it on your own because there is freedom. There is better available. And not, I'm not promising the better of like, okay, give away that and God's going to give you everything you've ever wanted right now on a plate. Not necessarily, although he might. But I'm saying that actually true and proper right friendship with God just is better. It is better. So find your Nathan. And then finally, rally to Jesus. In Exodus, after they bow down and worship this golden calf, there's this moment where they are called to rally. Moses says to them, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And they rally to him. If you hear the voice of Jesus calling you back, rally to him. The Lord is our banner. He is where we rally in the midst of the battle. Not when you've won the battle yourself, do you return to God. But in the midst of your battle, even if you're not ready to let go, even if you're like, I don't know how to move forward in this, rally to Jesus, rally to Jesus. He is your banner. He is the place to go because he died for you. He died to buy your freedom. He died to purchase for you life in all its fullness. That is what he has for you. That's what he wants to give to you. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to have solved all of your own problems yet. Rally to him. He can give that to you. It's free. It's good. It's done. It's waiting for you. Your future is waiting for you. And thankfully, although we draw lines all the time in our lives, you know, God, I'll do this until this point, or I'll give you this amount of time, or like, I never thought I'd have to do this this way. We draw lines. Doesn't draw any lines. Jesus doesn't draw any lines. We can't go too far to turn back to him today. So some challenges for us today. First one is just if you need to identify your Nathan Bring them into your situation, okay? Confess to someone, speak to someone, bring someone into your situation. If you feel like your heart is being torn in different ways, different directions. And then secondly, whatever your situation or your circumstances, make a plan for what it looks like to return to God. Make a plan for what it looks like to return to God. That might be to step out of the danger zone. That might be um, any one aspect of that. It might be to, uh, to tell other people. It might be to give your life to Jesus, to rededicate your life to Jesus, make a plan for what it looks like to return to God wholeheartedly. I'm going to pray for us just in a little second, just to make space for us to return to God wholeheartedly here in this place this morning, to make space for that. So I'm just going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit just to speak to us right now. Holy Spirit, come and move in this place, Lord. I pray that right now, if there's a move we need to make, God, if there's a thing we need to surrender, Lord, if there's an, a part of our heart that we've almost been trying to kind of just keep in a box away from you or hide from you or conceal, guard for ourselves, Lord, that you want from us today, would you just put your finger on what that is? Would you shine a light into any dark spaces, Lord? Would you give us clarity? Would you give us help? And right now, God, for any of us who just need to like re-surrender something to you, or we need to turn back to you, Jesus, we need to actually turn away from something completely and turn towards you. We just choose to do that. God, we choose to do that. We run towards you, Jesus. We don't want to run off-center long enough to end up far from you. We run towards you, Jesus. We turn towards you, Jesus. Have our hearts, have our lives because, God, you're worthy of it. And, God, you've, you're good in ways that we can't even understand. We can't even imagine the fullness of it. Jesus, thank you that you did it all for us, Lord. You paid the price on the cross. If you 
want to give your life to Jesus for the very first time today or you need to like really rededicate your life to Jesus and you want to do that again this morning, you can just pray along with me right now, something like this. Jesus, thank you that you died for me, that I could be forgiven. Would you forgive me right now? Make me clean, make me new. Adopt me into your family, God, thank you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Help me to be known as a worshiper. I give my life to you. I give my future to you. I trust you with it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And God, for all of us, would you help us and lead us as we respond to your word as well. In Jesus' name, amen.